Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, sports fans. Coach Nick here, and welcome to the D-Ball Breakdown podcast. I am pleased to have on the show today Phil Weber, who is a basketball lifer, former NBA coach and executive, and now author and leadership consultant. His new book is called How Do You Make Them Thirsty? A Roadmap for Developing the Potential in Others. And Coach, I can't thank you enough for coming on and discussing this book and, and basketball in general. Uh, Nick, very well. Thank you for having me. I look forward to our discussion. Well, let's talk about the book for, you know, I'll tell you, off, right off the bat here. Um, what are you talking about when you have a book titled How Do You Make Them Thirsty? What are we, what is that referencing? <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's not, it, I use basketball mostly in my metaphors, but uh, predominantly it's, it's, it's if you want to improve in anything, if you want to be a leader, some of the main components, a parent, teacher, coach, uh, whatever it is, it's the processes that we go through or we, we, in my mind, as I wrote, we need to go through. And if you were, Nick, if you were going to boil it down, I think that the two main crux Two main issues here are that everybody's different. And so it's the teacher, coaches, leaders job to understand how they best receive the information so they actually learn. And so you always have to continually improve and, and notice and be present. OK, that's a common thing that everybody talks about now. But in reality, it's everything. and. So not only do you, are you present at the initial part, but to me, and I, I use this, I use this metaphor a lot, but if I don't have a dozen oranges, I can't give a dozen oranges away. So what I need to do, but, so we should always be trying to improve ourselves so that we can give away more quote unquote metaphorical apples. And the other thing that is, you know, kind of important to this is the power of belief. And I, I don't think there's another gift that you can give to a person than believing in them and making them see something in themselves that they haven't originally seen. And to me, that's, that, that's why I, I wrote it. And uh, the title was kind of crazy because I wasn't going to write a book. I'd be honest with you. People had told me to write one. I didn't think I had the platform. I was an assistant coach. I've been a head coach in the G League. I've been a head coach internationally. But, you know, I just didn't think I had the platform until I heard this thought leader say that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And then he said something. The title of my book, he said, but what I want to know is how do you make them thirsty? And I think that's the goal of every teacher, coach, leader is finding those elements to inspire and to promote and let people grow. 
love it. And especially because we talk so much on this show um, about coaching and methods and communication methods. And we're at a crossroads, it kind of feels like here, and maybe we're, we've already crossed that threshold, but there seems to be a tug of war between a certain uh, age coach, a certain uh, generation who utilize a lot of uh, techniques that were probably be considered, you know, old school is not the right word. I, I would probably say suboptimal, uh, using things like anger and disgust and, you know, personal attacks to try and get a point and motivate. And it kind of sounds like what you, the basis of what you're trying to get across in the book would also directly apply to the, the motivational and communicational techniques we, we could use and we should be using to, to make that work even better. So let me give you a story. Okay. So uh, I got a lot, you know, as a coach this long, you, you get stories and I don't think, I don't think Al would, would mind me using it. I use it in the book. And, you know, so Al was on the Knicks. Okay. And I believe he just got there and it was summertime. Well, and this Al is Al Harry. I'm sorry, Al Harrington. Okay. With the New York Knicks. And I was living down in the city and Terrytown is a eh, half hour away. But and Al, you know, said, Hey coach, can we meet on a Sunday? And let me tell you, Nick, I I, I don't care if it's 2 a.m. I'm going. And if a player wants to get better, let's go. Right. So sure enough, we go, we meet at the practice facility up in Terrytown. And, you know, proceed to do the normal kind of warm-up type drill type stuff just to get them loose because you you know you don't ever want to just jump right into it right so we shifted gears and it was now time to kind of get going and i guess he didn't feel the gear shift or you know because he just wasn't going there i was trying to get him there vocally he just wasn't getting there so i'll be honest why i stopped the workout and i said hey hey out can i talk to you and I go, I, Al, I know how gifted you are. I know how good of a player you are. And I've seen how hard and intense you can play. So let me ask you a question. On a, on a scale of one to 10, where are you right now? Because, hey, you have something to do. It's a summer Sunday afternoon. I could probably find something and we're only going to get worse if we're not given everything we have. Once we cross those lines, there's a sanctity to crossing that line. When you get here, you're here mentally and you're here to get better. And coach, I got to tell you, he didn't say one word. He just went right back to our last drill and started to go balls out. Right. And so I forgot about it. Right. Workout went for another 34 minutes, 30 to 40 minutes. I'm not sure. So next day in the Nick practice facility, okay, morning, you know, Monday morning, and uh, the trainer comes into me and says, Coach, what did you do to Al yesterday? I go, I, I don't know. Why? And he goes, he came in calling you a beast. <laughs> so, so what did I learn from that? You know, what I learned from that is all players know how hard they're playing and working we all have a conscience. And to me, it is the coach's job to A, prepare for every workout, but also he is the monitor for standards. And the only way we get better is we continually improve our standards that we hold for ourselves and for, and for the others. So I think, I think that uh, if I was to define coaching, I can make it very simple. 
And that is a player is right here in his mind. A coach knows with all the different variables he can get there. And all the coach's job is to elevate and bring them closer. That's it. And the only way you do that is by monitoring standards. You know, the other thing I take away from that is, so like in the past, you'd have a coach who would be upset with the effort of a player and he would feel justified in just detonating all over the player in front of everybody in front of in the practice, right? Like that's a very common thing you'd hear and see. And what I, and I, what I taking from what you're talking about and what I've learned you know, as well is that the power of simply asking the player about how they feel or what they're doing gets you so much farther than trying to scream and yell and force them to do it. You, you know what I mean? Like, and I think it not only is it better in that moment, I think it's a much more long lasting uh, effect on that player when you can empower them uh, to make that decision on their own. Does that, does that resonate? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, there are some times where you have to have buy-in from everybody, right? So, you know, it's, you know, the great ones, all championships, you can almost point to maybe the Pistons, maybe the Pistons when they won in 04, maybe that one. But go back and what you normally have is the best player is also the hardest worker. A coach can't create urgency, but guess what? When you have a great player who plays really hard all the time, use the, use the one name, LeBron, Michael, Magic. Larry, Hakeem, you can Tim, you can go Kevin, because KG was he's arguably one of the most insane, intense and positive. You know, just you, you don't the coach is one thing, you don't want to let him down or you feel the wrath. Mm -hmm. So, you know, being able to establish and get those standards and doing it in such a way that, you know, I I just think questions are are the most powerful thing we can ever ask now the only thing that you have to monitor are they empowering or disempowering you know and, and i and i talk about this whenever i give you know some of my more individual discussions to people is that let's just say the most horrible thing or a horrible thing happens to two different people in different parts of the world does or doesn't matter where they are they don't know each other it's part different parts this person, horrible thing, same thing. Why did he have to do that to me? Well, guess what? It's biblical. Asking you shall receive. You're going to get an answer. Mm -hmm. Spiral down. Over here, the same person had a horrific thing. The same thing happened to him or her. And they say, how can I utilize this to better my life or somebody else's? Spiral up. We make a thousand or more decisions every single day. We have this interior dialogue that's going on right now. You know, I'm, I'm like, you know, Nick, stop thinking. You can't do it. It's like digestion. <laughs> and of those thoughts, many are habitual. So we have to take control of our minds and understand that we are, we're always, we're always saying something. So either we're growing or we're not. And so. <laughs> Again, I don't want to go too much on, on that type of stuff, but, you know, I think that that's all part of coaching. I think understanding that. Oh, and by the way, uh, I have been called a walking Geiger counter to limiting beliefs because 
if we, our words and language are like a fingerprint. So if you say I am and it's a negative, you're arguing for your limitation. That's who I am. I'm just slow or I'm not smart enough. You're arguing for it and never argue for your limitations. Do you feel stressed out and unsure what you can do to relax, not just your body, but your mind? You have to try Calm, the number one mental wellness app that gives you the tools you need to improve the way you feel. Start by taking a deep breath, let it out, then download the Calm app and use it to not only clear your mind and be more present, but they've got imaginative sleep stories and daily movement sessions to help you recharge and unwind. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds. And for listeners of the show, Calm is offering an exclusive offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash bball. Go to calm.com slash bball for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash bball. Oh, I'm going to actually be able to bring this back into a, a basketball sweep because <laughs> I think, you know, people are, that's who's listening to this show. But, you know, I always, I work with people in shooting a lot and I spend a lot of time studying the, the intricacies and we've learned, you know, so much in the last even 10 years of how to properly teach shooting that kind of flies in the face of what we taught for the decades before. But I'll, I'll ask these players, these young guys, they say, are you a good shooter? A lot of times they'll say, no, 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 not really. And I try and tell them, there is no way you can become a good shooter if you're already in your mind telling yourself that you're not a good shooter. Now, you could be a shooter that's shooting, you know, 25% from three. Well, that's good for where we are in this moment. And we're going to now build from there and go. But I can tell you, that's my I tell myself. There's one thing I can guarantee is you're not going to get better that way unless you begin to change the mindset and the thoughts in your head. You know, I, I'm not trying to create these overinflated egos, but I'm trying to get past what I think the negative brain stamping that we're talking about here that ultimately affects, you know, of all the things that's, that's uh, uh, mental in the game of basketball, it's shooting the basketball from 20, 25 feet away. Um, and, it, and it really, really works. And you can see them kind of smile a little bit and they kind of change their demeanor and the energy changes. And, uh, and you can go from there. But uh, you know what I mean? It, it's really fascinating when you want to try and, you know, change even the notion of being too humble uh, can hold you back uh, from, from getting better as a basketball player. No, no question. And in, in, in speaking of basketball, we can, we can go to the shooting aspect of it right now if you want. Okay. Uh, I've had, I've been fortunate and blessed to, you know, I don't know how many NBA guys that I've worked with uh, as a coach in the league and probably a hundred before I got in the league. So, you know, I would say that with like with Amari, and I don't think he would, I, I think he would, you know, relish this because of the story. But with Amari, his release point wasn't in my mind where it needed to be. And we just needed to, Get it. So to me, when you're focusing and working on a shot, so again, the mental physical combination is I always would try to find, I will always would find a different mantra for each individual shooter, just so they had something that would like attach to it. And with Amari, it was funny because to me, I just wanted him to have just a subtle, not a big, you know, but just a subtle pause, just so he, it, to me, I, I, I looked at it as a clutch where all of his things got focused in the right direction. So there was, so our mantra with him was jump up, take a picture, follow through. Just a little subtlety, right? 
So, and to explain, you know, the way our minds are, I mean, Daniel Coyle, who wrote the talent code, will tell you this about myelin. And I never called it myelin until I read that book. But what I would use is I would use steel cable. So with Amari, I explained, I said, you know, his nickname was standing tall and talented, stat, right? So I go, stat, with the way you're shooting right now, you have a, you have a steel cable. And the only way you get rid of that steel cable is by creating a whole new one. And there's only one way to do that, putting one perfect repetition on at a time. So therefore, if you're not paying attention, eh, jump on the practice core, you know, take some shots, not really focus, you know, Phil's not around, you know, just not paying attention. Not paying attention is the key. Or before a game, you're out there just one not paying attention. I would purposely hide, purposely. <laughs> just watch him as he's warming up, right? And I promise you, it was more than one time early in the process. And let's say, for instance, I'm watching him just take 10, 10 shots and they, he wasn't concentrating. He just went up there and was just shooting it the way you always did, right? And I <laughs> I'd walk up behind him, surprise him, and go, Stat, what are you doing? What are you doing? He goes, why? He's like, what do you mean? You just took 10 strands off. What are you doing? You're not here. Because every, if we ever want to change anything as, as, a, as a, in our habits and whatever, we have to be mindful. The first step towards change is awareness. So therefore with him, he had to always be present on every rep. Because it's not practice. Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Because if you practice something perfectly wrong, you're just reinforcing the wrong habits. So therefore, we got to a place. So funny, the next year. So that was like midway through the 0304 season. So we worked all summer. We worked all, all spring, all summer, fall. So now that was 0405. And you know, he had developed a pretty good steel cable and it was a main part of what our offense was. We ran it, you know, we put him on the elbow and he was so gifted physically that you couldn't guard him one-on-one -on -one if you had to guard him for, for elbow. So we would put him on the elbow and guys, you know, if they got up on him, he'd go around or if they stayed off, he'd make it. So we're playing, uh, we're in Indiana. We are 31 and four at the time, 31 and four. And the USA Today, you know, had us on the cover. And there was a picture of Amari, perfect form on the cover. Jump up, take a picture, follow through. So he's in the back of the bus. I'm like, stat, check it. <laughs> Obviously big smile, it's one of those teacher player moments right uh one more thing in line to that and it, it's it's kind of circling back to the confidence uh conversation we were having so in with players i i kind of create a corny reminder of of how i'm going to do it and i call it being a con man now why do you why do you say why it's a con man? because you start off with consecutives now, why consecutives? Well, guess what? 
it's a way that you can, you can monitor standards. For instance, Steve Nash, who's an amazing, unbelievable shooter, he may be at 10 from where you're going, 10 in a row where you don't move to, another, to, to the next drill. Where a rookie who hasn't established a, a, a good stroke or whatever, you may go two or three just to build, right? So now what happens? With consecutives, automatically, with consecutives, your level of concentration has to go up. Because if you're not concentrating on all of them, you're not going to make it. Once your concentration goes up, all of a sudden now you become more consistent. And when you become more consistent, then you get the fruit of all that consistency, and that's confidence. So I'm working with Lloyd Vaught before I'm in the league in L.A., right? He was a starting power forward for the Clippers. We worked all summer. We started off in June with five in a row. Okay, because he was already a good shooter. He was a starting. So we go all the way till September. And we get up to, now it wasn't the whole workout. I would, I would ideally have five or six actions that he would have to score on with, you know, with the, in his offense. Well, we get to September and he, we get, we're up to 10 in a row. Now, guess what? I said Moneyball maybe 1 million times because when you get to nine, Moneyball, because guess what happens? All of a sudden now, not only is your concentration, but it automatically creates a pressure to make that shot. Well, he makes 19 in a row. And I just would let him go if they, if they're, if you're get 10, you just keep going. Mm -hmm. He turns him and says, Hey coach, once you get that confidence, then you get the big contract. And he did six year, 30 million from the Pistons. Wow. So it's a, it's a, it's a method to kind of get the mind into it, increase, increase the standards and build some tension while you're doing it. Love it. Especially because you'll hear a lot of players who, uh, you know, in the younger levels who will say, you know, I can make every shot in practice, but I can't do that in the games. And a lot of it has to do with the inability to match the kind of pressure that you're going to face in the game uh, when you're practicing. And that's a great way to do it because it's also the, the, the human motivation, their own motivation. No one else is putting that pressure on them. They are. And that's the only way I know to, to replicate that. Uh, it's funny because the way I played when I was in high school, I was a really good shooter. It, it never, I never got uh, bothered by missing shots in the warmups before the game happened because I knew that whatever happened for some reason, the stimulation of the game itself, as the ball is thrown up and the refs are there and the crowd and the fans, it was so, I guess, hyper stimulating to me that I knew I'd be locked in and focused and I, and I would make shots. It was weird. It never affected me. And uh, I, I suspect it was related to a lot of the same things that you're talking about in terms of it's almost like, I don't know if we call it confidence. I like to call it a rhythm. And I'm wondering if you can recognize why I might, you know, because anyone can fake the confidence. They can walk in and saunter in and be like, you know, confident. But to me, it's the rhythm of the way they move their body and execute the mechanics. And does that make sense to you when you hear that? When that I heard you just speak about your experience, mm -hmm. I, only, I only resonated with one fact, one fact in that. And that is an empowering belief. We talked about disempowering beliefs, but your belief that it doesn't matter what happens here, there, whatever, when the game time comes, I'm ready. Mm -hmm. And to have that belief in yourself is everything. And I want to touch base on one more thing for coaches developing offenses. So when we had, 
Amari and when when Boris and I began work, we had, were working together, they would not leave the gym. It built up over time, but we got to a point where both of them, they would not leave the gym until they made 10 in a row from each other. Because we're making, we're, that's going to be a focal point. Amari averaged 37 and 10 in the Western Conference Finals against San Antonio. Couldn't guard him. Hey, this, you know, again, it's, it, it builds on the belief that you had when you're, because in practice, you're, 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 you said you were a good shooter. That automatically tells yourself, hey, guess what? I, I'm, I'm a good shooter. I am. Oh, and by the way, another one of those um, uh, things that are very important is that anything, think about this, anything that we follow the words I am blank define us. So be careful of how you use it. Again, getting back to the limiting beliefs. Anything that you follow the words I am, you define yourself. Love it. I mean, I also try and encourage players not to use words like I hope or it would be nice to, or I wish I could do something, right? I want them to use the power of that language to be definitive. You know, I will, I will do the, and by the way, it doesn't have to be, I will get to the NBA, you know, if you're in high school, it could be, I will make uh, 10 straight elbow jumpers, or I will rotate properly on the, you know, on a, on a penetration from the weak side. You know what I mean? Like those are the things where when you hear a coach yell, like play like a team, you know, th those are the things I like to avoid as well, because it's too abstract. I don't know what playing like a team. I don't know what that means. I don't right. know what it, a good team or a bad team first, right? <laughs> right. right. And like I always, and maybe other people don't need it, but I, I like concrete ideas. So it's like, tell me like, what exactly specifically can I do that will help the team? And I think it unlocks so much more because you know, in the, in the, even in the, in the notion of being creative, you can become overwhelmed with a blank canvas that you have no idea where to begin and start. But when you have, you know, a structure to that, you can actually be even more creative inside of those parameters. And that's, I, I can remember uh, interviewing uh, Trevor Ariza. Uh, this is probably 2011, maybe right after like, you know, the, the first championship, second championship they had with Kobe and, and Powell, uh, I think. And so I asked him, who was your best coach? He had a bunch of coaches in the NBA. And he said, Phil, I said, okay. And I said, why? And he goes, because he gave me the most freedom I've ever had on offense. Now, coach, you were in the NBA at that point. I'm sure you were well aware of Trevor Ariza's game. Would you say that he had any kind of freedom in that triangle offense playing for coach Phil? Well, well, what you have to understand is what you have to define what type of freedom. Mm -hmm. Freedom is very ambiguous, you know, because, because, if he had, and I, I was going to get to this, I'm glad you, you kind of segue because from a team perception, you know, uh, what, why were we so all of a sudden successful in Phoenix when Mike took over a couple things, but one of the main components of the way Mike coaches, and I believe that him and I were kindred spirits along this line. And that is he eliminates doubt from players. And it's, it's so funny. I've told this story a lot, but so funny. Because the year before, the year before 04, so was, I guess it's 03, we had Bo Outlaw. We had Bo Outlaw. Well, Bo Outlaw was one of the most unique 
players in the NBA. He was a bona fide star defensively, could handle it 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, there wasn't an ounce of fat on him, could run for absolute days, you know, without getting tired, was all over the place and could dribble handoff and could do all those things offensively, offensive rebound. But from the perimeter, he was challenged. <laughs> so, so what happened all the time because of that, when the shot clock got low, he was, all, he was open so often that he just ended up with the ball with two or three seconds in the shot clock. And you know what the interesting part about that was? He usually made it. Now, let me tell you something. We, I came up with another. I have some serious corniness in me, I guess, but I came up with one of my favorite rhymes ever for, for him. When the shot clock's low, get it to Bo. Because it was <laughs> he works for Orlando right now. And when I see him, he'll he hear, hear me yelling that exact thing. So what, why, why was that successful? Well, it was successful because Bo knew he had to shoot it. He knew his teammates knew he had to shoot it. The opponents, he knew he had to shoot it, right? 20,000 people knew he had, doubt was eliminated. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is what Mike created and perpetuated. And it's the reason why you can look at almost all, you know, the years in Phoenix and, and when we had good players that they all had like career years. Mm -hmm. And I mean, people, agents were lining up to send their guys to us because guess what? You can create doubt in the smallest of things. So you have to guard that like Fort Knox. You have to guard what you say to the team because once that doubt's in there, it will grow. So you have to monitor how you use your words in order to build confidence and eliminate any kind of self-doubt that they may have. Absolutely. I, language is so important. I can remember even just, and it, it's not easy to, to do, like to study how to use language properly and avoid, you know, getting caught in certain, you know, uh, cliches that will ultimately be damaging to a psyche. Uh, I, you know, for all the credit that Mike D'Antoni and you guys and you, and you Phil specifically get for the developing that offense seven seconds or less, I kind of feel like more credit should be mentioned for the, yeah, the empowering of the players, the ability to see, and, and Mike was doing it with the Lakers later and it was tumultuous here in LA, but like he was still finding ways to get like players we hadn't really heard of to be scoring the ball easily, you know, out of that. And it wasn't just out of the offense. It was the, you could tell the player had the glow and there, there is no other explanation for why that was other than being in the proximity of him and, and you guys, when you're doing that in Phoenix, and uh, and in New York and everywhere else. So that that was always the thing that struck me probably more than what you were actually doing X's and O's on offense was just how you these players would come in and just you know uh, take agency of what they of their role and do it without being intimidated by the situation. Um, again, it's a very lost art that really needs to be developed more. And I think if we it was developed more, we'd probably have you know better players all the way around at every level. Mike paid very close attention to many things and I marveled and I, I mentioned this a lot about him because I would watch him every single day right and every single day he would walk onto the practice court 
you know, for, or the, or an arena where we're getting ready for a shoot around. And he would touch up every single one of the players, every single one. So it didn't matter if you were number 15, if you were the, and even so much as you okay, you doing okay. He just checked in. Right. And when, when you feel part of something, okay. When you feel that you're really, that you matter, you, you just feel safer and able to contribute and you ultimately you'll contribute more. And I think with companies that have psychological safety along with accountability that they function, you know, amazing. That's one reason why, you know, my time with the heat where, you know, they were, there's a reason why they have people there that have been there for 25 plus years. They create such a culture, family culture. Mike did it a little bit different way. They, but the heat do it an amazing way. They have their core values and they live by them. And it's not just some placard up on the wall. These are real actions. These are real things that those people, those players feel. And, you know, it's, it's mindfulness because as a leader coach, every single day you have to prepare not only what your plan is, but how and what you're going to say and the approach that you're going to say. And you have to understand your team. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's more, almost more of an art than a science because people are involved. That's it. People are involved and we're all different, right? I will tell you this, though. And I don't know if I mentioned this earlier. But yeah, I guess I did. They don't care how much you know. Players don't until they know how much you care. And to me, that care is absolutely flipping everything. Wow. That's great. Wise words, coach. Uh, you know, when you're not busy writing books on leadership, what, what, where, what else are you doing these days that keeping you busy? Well, you know what? I am uh, doing a lot of podcasts for my book. I got to be honest with you, but that way, right. uh, getting ready to do some videos, uh, do a lot of speaking right now. So uh, I'm involved with some companies that have brought me in and, uh, you know, it's, I'm just, my goal is just to give back. I've been blessed with by basketball for so, so many years. And, you know, how, how can I give back is, is one of my standard questions I ask myself every single day. And, and how can we find you out there? Are you on social media? We can, uh... well, you know what I got to tell you, as you can see behind me, right? So <laughs> I'm actually, my website is actually coming up. The publisher of my book, looked me in the eye and said, coach, you realize you're a ghost on social media. So I am, I have, I have uh, embarked on becoming more visible and not from a self-promotion, I guess, but more for, I believe in the message. And I think people should care about each other and focus and believe in each other more. And I'm just trying to, trying to get that out there. Well, Coach, thanks so much for coming on. And the website is Coach Phil Weber with 1B.com. Yes, so there. And again, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, this is terrific stuff and can't wait to talk more about it. And uh, don't forget, sports fans, the B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Coach? Oh, absolutely. 100%.